Support for the Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org. Live from the John L. Santico studio, this is The Source from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. In vitro fertilization, also called IVF, is now almost routine, and it hasn't been controversial. It's used to help people have children. But last week, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos, which are a product of IVF, are the same legally as children. This has pushed the issue of IVF into the news and opened up a lot of questions about the procedure, the emotional experience of of using IVF. A San Antonio fertility clinic called Positive has off- offers IVF services. Dr. Francisco Paco Arredondo joins, uh, joins us. He leads the team there, and he's here to answer your questions about how, what IVF is, how it works, how frozen embryos are handled and considered. And Dr. Arredondo, welcome to The Source. Hi, uh, thank you for having me, uh, uh, David. Uh, we are happy to be here. Um, thank you for making an oppor- giving us an opportunity to explain and educate the population about the big difference between uh, in vitro fertilization and what the Alabama uh, uh, Supreme Court has decided. Right. Uh, so we definitely we really want to answer questions to help people understand what IVF is and the process and the procedure and 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 uh, how this works and how it helps people. I do want to say so positive. The name of your fertility clinic has a unique spelling, P-O-Z-I-T. T-I-V-F. So if people are going to Google it, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, a yeah. creative spelling. Yeah, no, you, you said it right. P-O-Z-I-T-I-V-E-F. And basically it's a play on words because, uh, you know, what we do is really, really positive at, uh, at, uh, uh, at positive because uh from 100 women that need in vitro fertilization in the country, only 15 are uh, having it uh, because of bottlenecks in the access, because bottlenecks in the e- economics. I mean, the average cost of IVF in the United States is approximately uh, $20,000. And uh, we, through uh, ways of uh, applying lean management and, and Toyota production system and removing things that do not add value, we've been able to drop the price to seven thousand dollars we are the most cost-effective place in the country because so because we believe that one of the things that has not been said in the population and and in the discourse in our country is that we need more people the united states has a fertility rate of 1.6 which the idea for every nation to sustain a growth and have a proper uh, society with economical uh, thriving needs 2.1. And the biggest threat to this country is not nuclear war. The biggest threat to the world is not uh, environmental disaster, is nothingness. If we do not produce more babies, we will be in deep trouble. In approximately 50 years, we will have six times more people above 80 years of age, thanks to the medicine and the quality of life that we have been able to provide in this country. However, we will have only half of the people less than 10 years old. 
you require three productive people to sustain one retiree. And this is just not sustainable. Right. The but, but there's way, the, So the population decline, there are a lot of aspects to that. Um, I don't know if IVF is the uh, turnkey solution to, to dealing with that. We should have uh, public policies like we see in Europe where they have paid time off and they have uh, government paid childcare and other issues uh, the, for maternity leave and support that they're using to address this issue, which is not happening here in the United States. That's a, so I, I am planning to do a program, a complete program on population decline. But right now I kind of want to dig into the science of yeah. IVF. No, no, I, 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 I will uh, go uh, dig into that, but I'm just going to give you one piece of information. You're right in everything. You need a comprehensive uh, plan. Uh, the only OECD country that is above 2.1 and it has a 2.9, is Israel. And the reason is because 15% of the babies in Israel are born, are conceived by IVF because IVF is affordable for everybody until the age of 45 or until you have two babies. I mean, there is empirical evidence in our society that IVF is a turnkey, together with everything that you said. Now, IVF, what is IVF? IVF is a tool that was created in 1978 with the uh, birth of Louis Brown. And basically what we do is uh, normally a lot of people want to make this very complicated, but this is simple. You require three things to get pregnant. You require sperm, you require eggs, and you require a place for them to have a date. That's basically what you require. So in vitro fertilization is the process uh, by which we give medications to a patient to enhance their ovulation. Normally a woman only produces one egg per month. With this medication, we uh, uh, produce much more than one egg, and then we extract them. And in a uh, petri dish, in vitro, they're the name, we put together that with the sperms. Now we have a fertilization. So now we have uh, little cells that are pre-embryos, and those pre-embryos are actually uh, transferred into the womb of patient. So we the laboratory becomes the fallopian tube, if you may, of the whole process, and all the fertilization is done externally, and then we transfer one embryo inside the uterus. That's, uh, in a nutshell, the, uh, the, the process of IVF, stimulating, getting eggs, fertilizing them with a sperm in a petri dish, and then transfer the embryo inside the uterus. I, I hope that that it was a good explanation. Yeah, and it seems so, you know, you give us the step-by-step -step recipe on how to do it, but it can be much more complicated than that. And we're kind of hearing about how uh, the success rate of IVF is uh, is not always, it's, it's you know, it's questionable, right? No, actually, uh, let's let, compare to what? Let's, let's go, uh, if we... It, uh, David, if we have 100 women that are 25 years of age and already have three kids, very fertile, and those 25 women are ovulating tonight and having intercourse tonight, you know how many will have a baby? Everybody will think that everybody. It's only 25%. The best that nature could give you per month is 25%. Why? Because even if you have 100 fertilization, 100 successful spermatic dates, 35% will not implant. 25% of those will implant and fall, and the patient didn't know he was pregnant. Once she's aware that he's pregnant, 15% will be miscarriages, and only 25% will make it to a baby. All these that are lost before emotionally are horrible, no question. 
but medically is the best thing that could have ever happened because the great majority, 90 plus percent of those have chromosomal errors. So it's a, the nature has a very good quality control system and it has a 25% efficiency per month. With IVF, we are doubling that with nature. We are in 50%. So yeah, I, I understand that it is not 100%, but it's super good. Right. I'm not questioning the effectiveness. I just know that it is an emotional issue for a lot of people who have gone through this process. And so we're going to be talking more about the emotional impact. Uh, what's it like uh, to uh, go through IVF and and deal with the emotional roller coaster that it presents? So, uh, Dr. Arredondo, if you would hang on uh, in this next segment, we're going to be hearing from an author who's written about her experience with this. And also our phone lines are open. If you got a question or a comment about IVF and frozen embryos, the number is 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. The source continues after a one-minute break. Support for TPR comes from La Fonda on Main, honoring the authentic cuisine of interior Mexico since 1932. Open for lunch, brunch, and dinner. More information at LaFondaOnMain.com. You're listening to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. We're going to be hearing again from Dr. Francisco Paco Arredondo uh, talking about his uh, fertility clinic in San Antonio Positive and hearing about the process of IVF and the procedure and how we deal with frozen embryos and concerns about uh, the law uh, as Alabama has uh, ruled that frozen embryos are children. But right now we want to tune into the emotional side of what's it like uh, to be uh, someone who is struggling with infertility, someone who uh, turns to IVF looking to uh, grow their family. Uh, Tasha Van Howell joins us. Uh, she is the author of the book, uh, Miss Me Always, where she uh, talks about her personal tale and of uh, tragedy and triumph. And Tasha Van Howell, welcome to The Source. Hi. Thank you for having me. So um, tell me about your experience with IVF. What was it like for you? So when you decided, what was it? Uh, you were, what were you experiencing? What, what were you, you know, your efforts to grow your family, uh, and then you decided to go to IVF. So what led to, you know, going uh, before you decided to go to IVF to uh, to that fertilization? My husband and I were trying to for years. Um, it wasn't our first go, even while trying to. So uh, we're really having a hard he time hearing you. Are, are you, uh, is there a way you can kind of in, in, uh, give us a better signal? Is something happening there? Are you moving yeah. around? Can you hear me? Yeah, try, try. So tell me again. Okay. So my husband and I, we tried for years. That's better. Can you hear me? Yeah. We were trying for years to have a family, and um, it just wasn't working. 
and unfortunately I, I miscarried a couple of times. So we decided to do IVF. Um, our son passed shortly after he was born, actually, and uh, that's when we decided to do IVF. We went into it naively thinking that IVF was the answer to our, our prayers. We thought, this is, this is simple. This is what's going to happen. And IVF, we're going to have twins. And it just sort of didn't work out that way for us. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and was it, you know, were you, t- were you were you told it would work and then it didn't work? How did that happen? We weren't told it would work. I think with IVF, you you tend to hear the successful story, whether it's strangers or friends and people who know somebody who did IVF. There was always a successful story. So for us, that was the answer. We were like, oh, then we're going to be one of those successful stories. And we weren't. Um, I had 17 eggs retrieved. Um, slowly, they did not make it. And the one egg that they were able to genetically test came back as um, viable. And did, and I guess they went through the process of, of trying to make you pregnant with that egg? No, because it was unviable. Unviable. Unable to. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, what what are your thoughts? I mean, um, I mean, it works for many people. It has provided many people with families and children. Sorry, it didn't work for you, uh, but you went through a grieving process. It was so emotional for you. Yes, um, the grieving process is is both, I think, for status that it didn't happen. But also the woman, I felt failure. Um, I knew I couldn't, I wasn't getting pregnant, you know, naturally on my own. So I went through IVF and not have a successful outcome was also very um, trying mentally and physically, trying to understand why it didn't work. So it, it really put that stress on you and your heart about feeling like you're a failure and you couldn't. You can make something that you thought would work work. How did this impact your your marriage? You know, for my husband and I, we are lucky. I always say, um, my husband and I have fallen more in love in this journey to have a family. That is not always how that works for for couples. So we, I, I am blessed in that field, but it did take a toll on us. There were moments when we would cry, we would fight about what we're going to do next. Um, one minute I wanted to give up, the next minute he wanted to give up. Um, and honestly, I, I want to say the financial aspect of it too is, is very difficult. We had to take out a loan to do IVF. Um, you know, many discussions about whether or not we should do that. So luckily we do have open lines of communication, and that we were able to do that, but it was not easy. So in, in the book, you it's the, the blurb for the book, it says it's a personal tale of tragedy and triumph. What is the triumph? I want to say it's, it's, well, one of the things is that it has brought my husband and I closer. Um, and the triumph is hope. As often as... <laughs> these bad things were happening, 
and through each one, we never gave up, and we continue to try. Do we have our family now? No, we do not. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to keep trying and keep that hope alive that, you know, it doesn't matter how we're going to have children of, of our own and a family of our own, we're going to keep hoping and you know, just working together to have that family. So this decision in the Alabama Supreme Court saying that um, embryos are the same as, as children, um, I don't know, you know, that's that's a different thing to consider, but the impact that it's having on the availability of IVF treatments in Alabama and, and it could spread to other states possibly, what are your thoughts about limiting IVF because of the concerns about children embryos? It breaks my heart. Um, like I said, it may not have worked for us on our our first round, but I know many couples and families that it did multiple times. I have dear friends who have children through IVF and had to do it multiple times. So the fact that these clinics might not be around and the help might not be there for these families who are already struggling to have a family and having to have the courage to go through IVF but now there's this roadblock, it breaks my heart. If uh, one of your friends came to you and said they were dealing with the infertility and that they were considering uh, IVF, what would you tell them? I would tell them, absolutely. There's no, there should be no roadblocks. There should be no opinions out there about how you start your family and how about having your family. What comes so easily for most of the population doesn't always work that way for others, and there's no shame in trying to do IVF. There, there should only be hope and positivity and encouragement, and I would tell them to do that. I would, of course, be completely transparent and say it's hard, it's difficult um, emotionally, and, you know, it is stressful, but in the end, it's worth all the struggle and the hope comes from it. So, um, obviously, the, the most difficult part of it for you was that it, you, you, it was unsuccessful. But other than that, what, were, what was the most difficult, hardest part of this? I would say during, so after the Maya egg retrieval, it was those phone calls that would come in that would say, the embryos were not making it, and and then finding out that I had one embryo that, that held on, and then we did our genetic testing, and it came back unviable. So it was within the, about those two weeks after my egg retrieval that was just heartbreak after heartbreak. Um, and so, if you, you, I guess you would tell the person that came to you and asking for advice, you would prepare them to tell Absolutely. them that this is not a, um, a, a cinch. No, it is not. But I always call anyone that's having infertility struggles, I call them infertility warriors. Because unless you've gone through it or unless you're going through it, you don't know that passion and that um, yearning to have a family, so there's a different kind of hope that you have, so and a different kind of strength that you have. So if somebody came to me and said, "I'm having trouble having a family," 
I'm thinking about doing IVF. Yes, I would be transparent and say, be prepared. But I would also say that I know that you can do this because you have the strength of an infertility warrior. So, you know, this is a very personal thing, and, uh, you know, people deserve their privacy. But in a time like now where IVF is being challenged in the public square, do you think more people should come out and say that they did use IVF to, you know, grow their family, that this is something that we should be talking about more openly, letting people know that this is not rare, it is practically common, and that we should um, be uh, totally willing to embrace this as, as a, you know, as, as something in our lives? Absolutely. You're right. It is completely personal, and even while writing my book, there were moments where I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm sharing too much. But it, I wa- my biggest thing is, yes, let's normalize talking about infertility. Let's normalize uh, letting people know that, you know, our babies were created out of love through IVF. There's no reason to not to speak about that. So I definitely say, yes, we need to encourage people to share their stories because it is a lot more common and you would think, and I've learned that just having written my book, how many people have reached out to me. Yeah, so your book, uh, Miss Me Always, tell me the title, break that down for me quickly. Oh, it's just Miss Me Always. Before my husband and I started saying I love you, we're high school sweethearts, we would say, miss me or miss you, and the other person would say always. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so um, you would tell people um, that this was a love story in your book, but it was very personal, and they told you, and people, whether we read your book, and how would they respond? What would they tell you? I've had many women tell me that the most common response is, I didn't know that other people felt the same way I did. I didn't realize that my thoughts were the same thoughts as yours or another person. Um, and I've, I've felt so alone in you know, my journey or what I've gone through. And after having read your book, I feel like I... I, I wasn't alone. And where can people find your book? Wherever bookstores, wherever books are sold online, Amazon has it anywhere online. And they can also go to my website, which is TashaVanHow.com. Has it was it an experience for you? Did you did you you know writing the book? It must have been tough, but did you? Are you glad you did it? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm glad I did it just because of the response that I've had but i will tell you while i was writing it i wanted to give up many times threw myself you know onto the bed and and gave up and my husband would push me and my friends would push me to keep going and now i am so glad that i did all right well so glad that you decided to talk to us today we appreciate your candor and sharing your story with us i think it's very helpful for people to hear that particularly uh we do need to encourage people to be more uh, open about uh, ivf in their lives how it's helped them uh, so that we can normalize, as you say, your words, that this is something that people do, and uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, Tasha Van Howe, her book is Miss Me Always. I appreciate uh, you talking to us today. Thank you very much for having me, David.
We're taking a break and we come back. We'll uh, get back with uh, Dr. Francisco Arredondo, Paco Arredondo, uh, talking about his San Antonio-based fertility clinic. And we'll be talking more about the IVF procedure and the handling of frozen embryos. If you got a question, give us a call, 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. We'll be right back. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. We're talking about IVF and how it is uh, a way to almost routine, a way to help people have children, uh, although, although now in the news it's become a little controversial. Uh, we're going to get more information about how this works uh, with uh, Dr. Francisco Arredondo. He operates Positive, a San Antonio-based fertility clinic, has an unusual spelling, P-O-Z-I-T-I-V-F. And welcome back, uh, Dr. Arredondo. Appreciate you hanging on there and giving us a, allowing oh. us to hear from the, the author um, let's go to a caller who's been hanging on. Uh, Randall has been on the phone. Sure. And Randall, you're on the air. I respect the rights of people wanting to conceive their own offspring. I can respect Dr. Arredondo wanting to grow his business. But I cannot, will not respect this alarmist rhetoric we heard at the beginning of the program that we need more people. This is reckless, irresponsible propaganda. As rivers around us dry up, lakes evaporate, water becomes scarce, and farmland for growing food gets covered by houses and pickup trucks. Yes, I can respect that people want to, want to have their own kids, and IVF is a great way to do that. But please, let's, let's not go with this false idea that we need more people. We have enough people. All right, Randall, appreciate that. Um, so we will talk about that on uh, a later program next week. I will book a program for next week about uh, population, and we can talk about all that right now. Uh, I don't want uh, to put uh, Dr. Francisco Arredondo on the spot uh, to ad uh, address those issues because, you know, he's really a fertility doctor. Um, so, no, but, but, I, but I, I'll be happy to uh, uh, okay. respond to Randall. It's not, it's not that I say it is fact. The fact is that we have a fertility rate of 1.6%. Uh, number two, the WHO and all the uh, OECD have said that in order to sustain our populations is 2.1, uh, what we need. Uh, and it is just a fact that we are not going to dwindle ourselves out of the problems of um, uh, environmental uh, challenges, the uh, climate change that well is pointed out by Randall, the only way we can come out of those problems is if we have more people thinking, more people creating solutions, we will not dwindle ourselves out of a global problem. And uh, it is not me that uh, say it. I mean, there's tons of experts. If you can Google how they're and, and I, uh, right, like I guess we will cover Randall. this on a different date. Yeah. But right now, Great. I, I want to really focus in on IVF 
and the yep. issues involved in in this for helping people, uh, you know, yep. grow their families. And so I do want to listen to a voicemail uh, that we got earlier. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is Brad in shirts. Uh, I have followed the Alabama in vitro fertilization uh, discuss about uh, regarding embryos of children. Uh, why, why should anybody outside Alabama really get all worked up about this? Because I thought the whole point of the Dobbs uh, Supreme Court case was abortion policy would be decided in state legislatures and state courts. And uh, I don't know what is the big deal if uh, in vitro fertilization companies or providers are all vexed at uh, the, the holding of the Alabama court. Well, then they just don't do operations there. They shut down their clinics and relocate their business to, a, a, you know, I don't know, California, New York, uh, a place that has a more, I don't know, enlightened view about in vitro fertilization in the status of embryos. But if Alabama wants to declare an embryo a child, well, then they probably need to be paying somebody child support. Uh, but either way, uh, in the spirit of federalism, I just don't know why it suddenly is a nationwide issue that Alabama has decided what they are going to call an embryo and what rights or status they're going to ascribe to it. And I'll uh, look forward to hearing uh, your callers and your experts' advice on this because I just don't see it being as something uh, that the rest, the other 49 states should be all worked up about. All right. Thank you much. So, uh, Dr. Arredondo, yeah. this, uh, the caller brings up the point, this is happening in Alabama. It's Alabama where they have shut down their IVF treatments there. Uh, are you concerned at all that this could have an impact on your practice here in Texas? Yes, we have mixed feelings. And the reason we have mixed feelings is because on the one hand in Texas, there has been some determinations already that... Um, the abortion uh, is never uh, considered on a woman that is not pregnant. So it specifically says that in, in some uh, legislation in Texas. However, on the other hand, a threat to access to IVF anywhere represents an injustice anywhere. And it could be a threat for everywhere because you can enter into a slippery slope and people uh, that unfortunately utilize uh, uh, religious beliefs to legislate, uh, it, it gets into uh, uh, the big desires of people growing more families. So uh, I, it's mixed. I don't think that we are a threat in Texas because of previous laws. Uh, 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 however, we have to support our uh, friends in Alabama. The process of IVF is very complicated, and in, in, uh, you have timing involved, ovulation, and things like that. It's not like getting a, a knee replacement. I can fly across country and get a pro procedure. Do you have to be like available quickly, or I mean, can you do this across the Great. country? Great. Well, one of the things that unfortunately our industry and everybody has consistently told our patients is, uh, this might not be for you. Oh, you cannot afford this. This is too complicated. And actually, that is exactly what positive has changed. We have fought to 
take care of the whole patient, mental, emotional, and physical, but also to make fertility care simple, make it transparent, and make it affordable. Let me tell you, the process nowadays is very simple. You require three tests for me to diagnose anything. Because I told you, they only need three things to get pregnant, sperm, eggs, and a place for them to have a date. So you do a similar analysis, very inexpensive. You do a blood test, and I can see how many eggs are left. And then we can do another test, and we see if the tubes are open or not. It's very simple. But people want to send a message that, oh, this is not for you. Oh, this is so difficult. It's actually relatively simple in 2024. Uh, when we began this in 1978, the pregnancy rate was 9%. We're at 50%, and uh, roughly. And uh, uh, the medications are uh, uh, part of the things that increases the cost, but you will require 10 days of medications uh, with two or three days of monitoring, and then the egg retrieval is one day, and the embryo transfer is five days later. So a patient will require around five visits total before the embryo is transferred. Over a course of a um, week or so? Approximately two to three weeks. So it but is, that, but that and, makes it and, much and more, though, more harder because the distance. Okay, so if a person in Alabama decides they want IVF, they can no longer do it there. So now they're going to come, okay, San Antonio to your clinic. But now they not only uh -huh. do they have the added expense of the travel, but also they have to find lodging and other things to be here sure. for this. It just adds more complications and more cost and difficulty and emotional burdens on people to get a treatment what they should be able to get in their own state. Yeah, not in 2024. That thanks to uh, telemedicine, that's one. Thanks to the fact that you can monitor with local doctors and you just brought the best point. Uh, we had a meeting with uh, the, the group of, uh, of people at uh, uh, Positive, and we have decided that despite the fact that we are the most uh, cost-effective center in, in the country, that if a patient in Alabama cannot get uh, services, we Positive will reimburse the travel up to $2,000. Uh, if they come and do the IVF for us, with us, because it is the right thing to do. These people in Alabama, currently there is approximately 1,000 IVF cycles in Alabama. So if there is anybody from Alabama listening here, uh, Positive has offered, um, we're going to start offering $2,000 on reimbursement or, or reimbursement of travel uh, if they come and do uh, their IVF with us that it is already the most cost-effective in the country. Why? Because we believe in this mission. We believe that having a healthy child is a universal human right. That is our mission. We have believed this, and we are making it here public that if you live in Alabama and you want to come to Positive Fertility in San Antonio to have IVF, we will reimburse you $2,000 of travel. Was that a hard decision to, to reach, or did you just know that this was the right thing to do? This is the right thing to do. This is what, you know, I was retired, my friend. I, I already had uh, four clinics and I sold them to private equity. And when I was writing my book, Medical Preneur, uh, I just realized that 90% of the people can't afford this. And I did see it as a big threatening problem to our country. We need more people. It, it, it is a fact. 
And uh, unfortunately, our brains are stuck in the 50s and 60s with uh, a demographic explosion was there. And uh, uh, But we have been so good at birth control that we are on the other side. Right. Look at what is happening in, in Italy, etc. So it was easy because we believe this is the right thing to do. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, I got a caller, Benjamin. Benjamin, I'll get you on the air. As soon as we come back from this one-minute break, our phone lines are open, 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. And we're discussing uh, IVF and fertility clinics here in San Antonio. Stay with us. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. With me on the line is Dr. Francisco Paco Heredondo. He operates Positive, a San Antonio-based fertility clinic, and he's answering your questions about uh, IVF and the handling of embryos. Uh, you can call in 833-877-8255, frozen embryos. Let's go to Benjamin on the line. And Benjamin, you're on the air. And Benjamin, are you there? Oh, sorry. Okay. I was just curious if he could comment about how technology has improved infant mortality and morbidity among IVF children. All right. Uh, Benjamin, thank you for that. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Arredondo. Yeah. So, uh, uh, technology has improved a lot in, in, in IVF to the point that we are double, we have doubled the nature of uh, uh, the pregnancy uh, rate of nature. So technology has improved a lot. What has not improved is the access to the current technology. We invest so much money on trying to develop new technology and new technology and new technology. Uh, but what we have is already very, very uh, uh, successful, but we have not made efforts on changing the business model and changing, re-engineering the way we do IVF. So, for example, us is not that we're inventing uh, anything new in the uh, 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 how an IVF is is performed in the lab, but we are creating ways to remove things that do not add value in IVF. So that's one regarding the, um, the issue of uh, uh, mortality rate and uh, infant, infant mortality, mortality yeah. rate. Yeah, uh, he is uh, right, pointing out that patients. You know, if you grab uh, uh, 100 babies that were born in in, in a, a hospital and were conceived naturally, there's going to be like 1.7% congenital anomalies problems with that keto. If you grab 100 babies with uh, created by IBF and are born, the the uh, uh, congenital rate increases to like 2.8. So it actually is significant. Overall, the question, the real question is, is that increase because of the technology of IPF or is it because of the underlying uh, reasons why a patient has infertility and we are unmasking them because we are doing IVF? And the evidence seems to point to the latter, that it is because we are uh, unmasking things that were the reasons why a patient had infertility. So I've also read that 
there are families that turn to IVF to uh, screen out genetic issues that the, that is in the family. I don't know if that includes something like Huntington's disease, uh, but yep. uh, is that what do they do that? Yes, uh, it's called PJTM, and what it is is that. Uh, this is the other part that nobody thinks of IBF as a preventive tool. IBF can save this country billions, B, 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 billions of dollars. Do you know that we have uh, 1,600 births in the United States of sickle cell disease that is 100% preventable, 100% preventable, and the average uh, expense of one baby with sickle cell disease throughout uh, his or her life is $1.7 million, okay? That's the cost to our population. And we can prevent 100% of all the cases with sickle cell disease. We can prevent 100% of the cases of cystic fibrosis. We can prevent 100% of the cases of Huntington disease that you mentioned, and a lot of other diseases. Uh, IVF is not only indispensable to increase our population, it is one of the best uh, tools. One of the things, and I don't know if I mentioned this, I, have a, I, I happen to be a fertility specialist, but I also have a master's in public health from Harvard University. And basically, I am looking at this from the public health point of view, not only from the clinical point of view. Let's go to a caller. Uh, Constance is on the line. And Constance, thank you for calling in. You're on the air. Yes, hi. Um, I, first of all, wanted to say a big thank you to Dr. Paco. Um, because of him, I am now holding my eight-week-old baby girl in my arms right now. Um, I am heartbroken that um, families in Alabama will not get this uh, to experience this um, joy or, or we'll have significant barriers put up um, because Paco allowed allowed us to grow our family and uh, and and I, I have one more embryo with him and I I am very concerned about the political uh, future for Texas. I know that uh, Dr. Paco says that we're we're safe right now, but um, it is a big concern of mine as to what we'll be able to do with that with our with our one more embryo. Are you are you considering? Uh, that embryo for late use later to become for use for maybe for use later or um, for donation. We're not we're not sure yet. So um, this is definitely a, a concern of mine. Well, Constance, I'm just melting with happiness for you right now. I think it's wonderful that you're able to experience what you're experiencing. Yeah, I am too. I'm so grateful to, to Dr. Paco forever. <laughs> All right, thank you for your call. Appreciate that. Thank you. So, Dr. Arredondo, about how many in general, not at your location, but in general, you know, embryos does a facility have at a, at a, a fertility clinic? Uh, well, it depends on the, obviously on the volume, but uh, uh, one of the things that has been happening is that there are centers that are uh, gamete and embryo deposits. So actually, a lot of people concentrate the embryos in, in, in places that uh, they store them. Uh, I, I, I don't have the data. So what would it be like hundreds the, or thousands or hundreds of thousands? Oh, no, it's thousands. Thousands. No, no, it's hundreds of thousands. Yes, yes, yes. Hundreds of so thousands. So in average, yeah, there are 350, roughly 350,000 um, 
IBF cycles perform in the United States. Uh, the average uh, uh, cycle gives you four embryos uh, uh, that are viable to be uh, 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 preserved. So you can do the math. It's really uh, that many. And, and if you have 50% pregnancy rate, uh, you know, doing a little bit of math, uh, you know, the minimum amount of embryos you need to get pregnant is one. The maximum is going to be around three, uh, because if you transfer one, is 50%, 50 percent. If you're not pregnant, you transfer another one, 50 percent of 50 is 25. So after three uh, uh, good embryos transferred, 94 percent of the baby have a baby in hand. And this is why listening to uh, the uh, uh, story um, of Tash, it, 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 you know, grit. Grit is the best medication for fertility. And I can tell you that she probably is going to lose, uh, uh, achieve her dream because grit is so important. Unfortunately, because it's so expensive and people want to make it too complex, it's so difficult to have grit. And that's exactly what we're trying to change. Making You're saying it simple, grit making it as affordable. in determination? Grit. Yes, grit. Okay. I, I also think berry white is a good thing for, for uh, fertilization and fertility. But um, so I'm just wondering if you have all these uh, embryos in one location and the government is not going to, in, in Alabama at least, says they're, they're children, they're people, do they count them on the census? Will suddenly, uh, will, will that happen? I, you know, it brings up a lot of un, yeah. unintended consequences. Yeah. So, but yeah, in your, in your practice, yeah, how do mm -hmm. you consider a frozen embryo how do you handle it with respect and dignity and recognizing okay it's not morally or legally equivalent to a child but still it does represent and it is still has a, a high level of responsibility and dignity that needs to be applied to it i mean am i right or, or what do you think you know you're totally you're totally right even before every single patient has a lot of uh, value in her eggs and in the sperms and obviously the embryos we treat them with the utmost respect and we follow certain protocols but it is important to make the distinction that a bunch of cells is not a human just the same way that a silicon chip is not a computer just the same way that a blueprint is not a building or that raw data does not equivalent is equivalent to knowledge so we are making big jumps here but to answer your question, we not only treat the embryos with respect, we treat every single patient with a lot of respect. And the type of patients that Positive has been able to um, uh, uh, serve is the people that before, as I mentioned, people right. were told, this is not for, this is not for you. So you this is the last question because we're almost out of time here. But I'm wondering because I know yeah. you're running a business. It's capital intense. Yeah. You have investors. Are the investors concerned? Yeah. Because if without the capital, it makes it very difficult and could uh, prevent uh, more of these uh, services from being made available. Well, you know, the, the, when we opened this uh, company, as I mentioned, uh, uh, I had already uh, uh, sold the company. So we came here and... Um, most of the founders of the company from the nurses, from the uh, front desk and from the uh, uh, laboratory, everybody owns a piece of the company. So we made it that uh, really everybody's vested into the company. And recently we raised $20 million. But, from but in, so you're, you're set because you've been at this a long, long time. I mean, you were 
You were the yeah. on the team that first performed IVS, IVF procedure in Mexico in 1989. You're yeah. a recognized yeah. international expert in this field. But for the future people who are trying to get into this field, or in, you know, will investors shy away? Uh, I think that the investors, I mean, I, I can just tell you that two weeks ago we raised 20 million people. So uh, 20 million dollars. I think Texas is... 20 million uh, dollars. dollars, I'm sorry, yeah. 20 million dollars uh, we raised and uh, the people uh, are able to do their due diligence and know that this is something that is only happening in Alabama for some uh, obscure reasons, that there is not a lot of uh, law there too, that there is not right. a lot of appeal. Because uh, uh, of religious uh, fanatics uh, in the, on the, in the yeah. Alabama Supreme Court. I want to thank you, Dr. Francisco Paco Arredondo. Uh, the name of his clinic is Positive. It's a, a unique spelling, P-O-Z-I-T-I-V-F. And I appreciate you coming on board and talking to us today. It is my pleasure. Anytime, David, and hope you have a great day, my friend. You too. This is The Source. Thanks for listening. This has been The Source on Texas Public Radio. The Source is hosted and produced by David Martin Davies. Kayla Padilla is our booking and engagement producer. Engineering support from Ruben Garcia, Jesse Reeves, and Steve Short. Dan Katz is TPR's Vice President of News. The Source is made possible with support from the Gladys and Ralph Lazarus Foundation.